There are two dangers when revising. Going too far or not enough. Those are the two gutters on the side of your bowling lane. Today's discussion will center around the sport of bowling, actually. So, um, you know, it's it's funny because I, I came across this relevant bit of tape uh, I'm going to play for you now. Um, should should uh, tell you why bowling's on my mind. An interview with Mr. Bowling, the inventor of bowling. Well, to give some bloody credit to some other folks, folks have been throwing things at other things for a long time. Homer writes of a general who threw a naked ten-year-old boy into a formation of enemy Greek hoplites, who, distracted by their rabid history, were immediately slaughtered. Henry VIII loved bowling so much that he married women specifically for their bowling ball-shaped heads. I invented modern bowling in Victorian London, or as we called it at the time, London. The East India bowling monopoly was in danger of being shut down due to the scandalously phallic nature of balls and pins. I'd just taken my morning breakfast of cocaine and opium when I had an epiphany. Why not put bowling indoors to protect decent society? I constructed the modern bowling alley that very day with the help of only a few hallucinatory demons. Unfortunately, the bowlers would keep throwing their balls into walls, manservants, and one another's lanes. Uh, then came my most brilliant invention, the gutter. Yes, no longer would gutters use only... <laughs> no longer would gutters only be used to ferry urine and Welshmen into the Thames. It would be a boundary to guide one down the straight and narrow. Now, certainly nobody aims for the gutters, but the gutters mitigate the cost of extreme failure. If you watch professional bowlers on the cinema box, you'll see the most daring and decisive bowls are made by skirting the very edges of the gutters in order to hit the pins sideways, just like Bloody Nelson at Bloody Trafalgar. God save the Queen! This was the last recorded interview with Mr. Bowling before he tragically died in a murder-suicide pact against Meghan Markle. Luckily enough, Mr. Bowling accidentally did the murder-suicide in the wrong order. You know, last week, we talked about knowing when to stop. If you've judged that any future work would give diminishing returns, it's time to move on to the phase of revision where we count the cost of revision. I previously suggested that you revise with a ranked list of goals. My top list of goals for the revisions of the Eerie were as follows. Get rid of extraneous story elements. Give the two main characters an arc without making them deal holes at the beginning. Reduce character count and increase character complexity. That's the third one. Sorry, forgot to mention. My goals in revising Ironclad Nocturne were a little bit different. Uh, number one, give clear and compelling motivation to our main characters. Number two, reduce focus on complexities irrelevant to the aim of the novel. And three, better set up late novel revelations. So those are my pins, right? Uh, my goal is to bowl over as many as I can. However, I also install gutters. Why is that? Well, they keep me from some wild, stupid shots. If I go off the lane, they identify the point of departure and allow me to assess my mistakes. They keep me from trying to hit some pins on another lane, goals that are admirable for another person or in another project, but not for me, and not for the book. Because the horrible truth about revision is that it's just as easy to mess up this time as it was the last time. You may be making those mistakes in order to repair past mistakes, but they might still be mistakes. One of the gutters you set up is that you find the parts of the novel that work really well, and you don't touch them. 
but uh, more gutters that I put up for the Erie were guidelines that if I stepped outside of them, I'd know I was on the wrong track and needed to redo. And they were, number one, the novel must be 10% shorter, so any new material must be matched by a reduction of the old. Number two, the novel must be made as easy to explain and pitch as possible. And number three, the novel must be centered upon the promise of the premise. Humans controlling other humans leads to broken humans on all sides. Notice anything? Those gutters were meant to pair up with my goals. Sure, I was aiming for the goals, but I was also looking out for the gutters. Though it is important to know what you're aiming for, it's just as important to know when you've missed. Gutters are guidelines that tell you that your experiment has obviously failed in meeting its goals. They also just scare you. I didn't just throw random ideas in my book because I was afraid of straying too far from my stated premise. I was afraid I'd have to revise again. For the novel Ironclad Nocturne, I scared myself straight by giving myself conditions of failure, going over a certain word count, allowing my main characters to wander off task, and revealing anything in the last act without setting it up in the first. Now, your gutters are going to be different, because you know your own foibles and potential failures. So, let's say, instead of what I have, which is a word limit, you may be a person who doesn't write very much, and so you actually need to expand uh, what you've created. Or you might be a person who gets too much into the point of something and doesn't give it any round edges or flavor. These safeguards will allow you to win, or at least allow you to avoid losing badly. Most importantly, they'll lessen the damage when you go to count the cost. Every revolution breaks something about what it overthrew. Everything that is reformed isn't what it used to be. And you, who creates and then recreates, have the dubious privilege of destroying and revitalizing your own work. You made the first work, you liked it enough that you made it in the first place. Maybe the new draft dwarfs the original, but there are things about the old that you miss. There's a new superhero show about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and though it doesn't get too deep into things, it does approach politics because they are following up on the legacy of Captain America, and Captain America literally wears an American flag, so you can stop whining about <laughs> the comics being too political. But there's an interesting dynamic in the show where people are trying to keep what was good about Captain America's legacy while also admitting that there were some pretty major flaws and faults. Um, the analogy to actual America being maybe way too obvious, because if you just exploded it and moved on, you would lose something. I'm reminded of Jesus's parable of uh, the wheat and the tares, where this guy, he goes out to his uh, awesome field of full of wheat that he planted, and it's really good, uh, except somebody sowed these weeds in them, some enemy, and, uh, and his servants come to him and say like, hey, bro, uh, looks like these weeds are out here. You want us to pull them up? And uh, the farmer says, nah, dude, it's when you pull up the weeds, you might take some of the wheat with it and kill it. Uh, so let's wait until harvest. Let's take it all up, and then we'll separate it out. Even if your project is really flawed, it is imperative that you finish it, that you get it to the point where it's ready to harvest, and then you sift through and find what's good and what's bad. It's important, no matter what country you live in, to acknowledge the great things and the terrible things in your country's past, and not destroying the good while you're trying to destroy the bad. The same goes for your novel. Your new draft may be 100% better, but there are things about the old that you miss. 
This is especially the case when someone else pushed you to make the change. Even if you agree that the change had to be made, this doesn't mean that there isn't some sort of cost involved, some sort of mourning that you need to go through. Now, I'm not saying to keep something just because it was costly, but it would be a darn shame if you came out of something, uh, some costly endeavor, and just didn't think about it, and didn't learn from it, and didn't take uh, some of the good parts of it and apply it to future endeavors. This is one reason why meditative rest is so important to any project. You gotta take a minute to honestly assess how much time, energy, and ability you spent making this project better. Understand that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Why torture yourself like this? It's another set of gutters. If you go on thinking that revisions are cheap and easy, you'll go on revising ad nauseum. You'll get locked into the loop. If you go on without a thought to what you've lost, you might be leaving something in the ash heap that might come in handy, either in this book or the next. So that's how you get off the merry-go-round of revising. You acknowledge that if the solution to a problem is not obvious, either to you or to one of your critics, you need to stop revising and either let the thing go free into the world, or if the world doesn't want it, just let it hang around and maybe you'll have a better idea at some future date. It's not good to obsess. There's no reason why your fifth draft will necessarily be any better than your second. If you haven't spent substantial amounts of time improving your craft, there's nothing to suggest that obsessive recrafting is going to get you anywhere. So that said, uh, this is where I come to some news about this podcast of mine. On January 1st, 2020, I released my first episode of Author's Dozen. Thanks to this project and to everyone who's listening and caring about it. This year and a half has been anything but dull for me. I wrote a fantasy western, an AI Frankenstein, an alien invasion of a shell. I wrote a detective noir about a man who becomes a cat, a novel where everyone dies and becomes ghosts, a novel where fantasy characters read and revise their own novels. I wrote novels one and two of a journey to the center of a machine planet, a novel about hunting gods, a novel about pirates hunting aliens. I wrote a sequel for Narnians, and I wrote about writing them all. I wrote for free, frantically, fast. But it's only in the aftermath and the quiet that I can assess the not insignificant cost of my free work. It was less than the cost of doing nothing, sure, but it cost me all the same. And you have to wonder, at one point, you're getting diminishing returns. Do we know when to quit? When we've built something up with our own two hands, can we take our hands away and let the finished thing be done? Or do we spend the rest of our lives obsessing over the one time we did the one thing, rather than going on to do another thing? Living in LA, I've learned that the saddest thing someone can do isn't to admit their reason for coming here was wrong-headed or headed in the wrong direction. It's something different. I've learned that people who go home and do something else with their lives after LA plans don't produce growth aren't at all to be pitied. In fact, they're very brave and good at what they do because they decided to reevaluate what it is they do. The truly sad thing is when somebody grabs a hold of that one single lifeline to happiness and never lets go, despite all signs that that lifeline is not connected to anything. Place gutters around your life. Your plans will break. Maybe they'll break in the way that you meet some of your goals and not all. Maybe it's worth another shot. All earthly things are breakable, and it's not persistence or courage to go on cheering when your shot is obviously in the gutter. That's madness. The gutter tells you that something has gone catastrophically wrong. The gutter tells the clear-headed person that it's time to set up new goals, new paths, 
take another shot, or admit that victories lie elsewhere. Bowling is not everybody's sport, it's obviously not mine. So I guess I'll just break the news right off that there will be two more regular episodes of Authors Dozen after this one, and then it's done. Now this isn't shocking or newsworthy, this isn't giving up, this is a project that was supposed to come to an end, coming to an end. And if you couldn't tell by Mr. Bowling's monologue, I'm yanking at my leash a bit. I want to do the next thing. Taking time to consider a cost will give you a good idea of when it's okay to move on. Maybe it'll give you the chance to do something you feel you've lost amidst all the bustle and hustle and rustle. But don't go anywhere. I want to elaborate on my plans moving forward. So first of all, keep me in your podcast feed and remain subscribed to any Authors Dozen content you've already subscribed to. Some days I wake up and my podcast has another 37 views because someone just got involved and is just making their way through the archives. I love you. Not as much as I love my OGs, my original listeners, but you, you know I'd love you. You know it. I also won't do that Malcolm Gladwell thing where I constantly post whatever I feel like on the feed, no matter how irrelevant. Oh, my po- my my friend is doing a podcast. Go subscribe to them. Nuh-uh. This is all about me, baby. This is all about giving you more of what you want. That sweet, sweet Paul cast. And, and I'm going to tell you a secret. Come over here. I'll, I'll tell you a secret. The next three episodes to drop on Author's Dozen will be the absolute most important episodes I record. Yeah, I know. This is a good secret, right? Now, the first two will finish out the main podcast run in a big way. The third will be at some future date when I announce my next big shot. I'm taking a lot of time to consider what that next step will be, but rest assured that whatever level of interest or entertainment you get from this project will be multiplied by infinity by the next shot I take. Now, why is that necessarily the case? Well, I'll tell you in the next two episodes. If you started listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you are a dreamer. You have some big plan that you want to go through and you want to know how to both create it uh, and set yourself up for good creation and also how to revise it and make your good creation even gooder. And if that's the case, you know how hyped you get about some new project that you're sure will take off. That was the case for me when I started Authors Dozen, and I think it took off. I don't mean numbers, and it doesn't mean social media hype or anything like that. But even as I count the cost, that only makes me more excited about the things I was able to do with this project. So if you supported me by listening or by uh, being a patron of some sort, um, I really appreciate you. This has been a big deal for me, and I hope it ends up being a big deal for somebody else. I hope that uh, what I do here and in the future will continue to be good for other people. And I'm not going to be too upset if more and more people get involved, but I am very content leaving Authors Doesn't Where It Is and moving on to something new. The next episode we're going to talk about is the episode where you return. It's not even about how much you've changed, which will be our refined episode. This is the next one after that. And the reason that these two episodes are going to be so amazing is that I'm going to return refined with this uh, dang podcast that I've done, and I got some cool announcements for you. But also, they are the culmination not only of my project, but your project as well. I hope you've enjoyed the journey, but I also really hope you enjoy the destination. 
and why am I so psyched out about next episode in particular? We're talking about Justice League Snyder Cut, baby. We're talking about big time revisions. And we're also talking about if I were to hate anyone, and I try not to, but if I were to hate anyone, Joss Whedon. Oh man, uh, I've I've harbored some some dark feelings about the man way before anything came out. And listen, I'm not talking about like having some foreknowledge of him cheating on his wife or using feminism to be the worst feminist in the world. I'm just talking about him being a smug smuggerson. And as much as I dislike what he did to people, boy oh boy, do I feel vindicated. And I would be the worst liar in the world if I didn't say that I feel a certain level of evil joy watching his house of cards come tumbling down around him. And I'm sure I will never do anything bad in the future that this comes back to bite me, cause I'm perfect. And it's Joss who deserves judgment, not me. I will never do anything wrong. You watch. Actually, don't, don't watch too closely, please.